Okay, so here we are today looking at um, the second in our short three-week mini-series, looking at the three letters of John. And when I say short, I really do mean short. Uh, This week and next week, uh, the two focuses of our discussions these two weeks also happen to be the two shortest books in the Bible. Uh, Today, our our, our focus, 2 John, is a mere 13 verses. And next week's focus, uh, 3 John, is 15 verses. Uh, and despite what it might look like, actually today, even though it's 13 verses and next week is 15 verses, today is not the shortest uh, book in the Bible. Next week's is actually the shortest book in the Bible, Third John. Uh, and that's because uh, in the original Greek, Second John has 245 words, while Third John actually only has 219. And so just over 200 words. And I chuckled, I thought, 200 words, and I'm going to write about a couple thousand to talk about those 200 words, and it made me laugh. But 200 words, that's it. That's what we're going to look at today and next week, 200 words. All of these three letters that we're looking at are are exactly what they are, is letters. They're letters. Uh, They're letters of John. If you read this week's, though, and next week's particularly, you see that John signs his letter the same way. And he says, basically, he says, I have much more to say, but I would rather not use paper and ink. So I'd rather come talk to you face to face. See, it seems that John knew the importance of face-to-face conversations and that uh, some things were better left said in person as opposed to put in an email. Uh, It's a lesson that I'm still learning, and it's a lesson that I look at sometimes what Paul said. I think Paul sometimes might have learned that same lesson, and sometimes Paul could have used maybe saving that uh, instead of putting it in a a letter. He could have said that in person. But we're going to look at those letters. And so today and next week, we're going to look at that. And what I'm going to do today is I'm actually going to read you the entire letter. And, And that's because it's only 13 verses. It's quite short. It's 13 verses, 245 words. And so I'm going to read it for you. And that's because I think Scripture is a very powerful thing in and of itself. Just listening to Scripture is a powerful thing. In in historical times, people would gather to simply hear the words of Scripture being read aloud. They would gather in a place to simply hear Scripture be read. When letters from the apostles would come in, uh, the church would get all excited. They'd say, hey, we got a letter from Paul, or hey, we got a letter from John. The whole church would gather together to listen to the letter read aloud. They would gather together and they say, hey, what, what did John have to say? Read it for us. Read it to us. Uh, and they would gather just like we are in person. One person would read out the whole letter. Now, a lot of people couldn't read at this time. And so part of that, uh, the not being unable to read, is a reason that they would gather together. And, and things have changed a little bit between now and then. Most people today are able to read. But I think along the way that when we taught everyone to read, people stopped reading. We taught everyone to read and people stopped reading. Uh, Many of us are able to read, but we don't read nearly as often or as much as we should. Uh, And I think that scripture reading is one place where we've we've stopped reading as much as we should. And scripture reading or meditating upon scripture or or just reading through scripture as a whole is a spiritual discipline. And in and of itself, it's a form of worship. It's a form of getting close to God. And so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you one entire book of the Bible. And yes, it's a very short one, but I'm still going to read an entire book of the Bible. And I purposely did not put it up on the screen, because I don't want you to read along. I don't want you to try to read along. So if you normally follow along on your cell phone or your tablet or in a Bible in hand, I'm going to ask you not to do that today. And instead, uh, what I'm going to actually try to get you to do is to listen. And and it's not that I'm making things up or I've changed any of the scripture and I don't want you to notice. It's that I want you to try this thing, a different way of listening, or to listening to scripture be allowed, or read aloud. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you if you'd close your eyes. So I'm going to ask you if you close your eyes. And while your eyes are closed, take a few long, deep breaths. Take a few quieting, calming, deep breaths. So just breathe in and breathe out. 
and just quiet yourself. Calm yourself, take a few more deep breaths in and out. And as you take these deep breaths with your eyes closed, rid your mind of all the things you've stressed over this week. All those things that came up this week that were stressful, just let go of those things. Put them to the back, get rid of them for a bit. Rid your mind of all those things. Rid your mind of what your plans are for lunch, what your plans are for dinner. Rid your mind of all of those things. Empty your mind of all those thoughts that are right now fighting for your attention. And simply listen to the rhythm of your breathing. Listen to the in and out of your chest. Listen to the heart beat as it goes one, two, and just slowly calm yourself. Now, as your mind is cleared, keep it cleared, and simply listen to the words of the Apostle John for the church. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in those wicked works. Now, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. In those 245 words, there's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot we can unpack. And truthfully, I think we could spend a few weeks going over this very short letter. But today I want to point out four four specific things uh, that I think deserve our attention today. And it happens to be that those four specific things are four ways that John tells us to walk. So I think he says walk, and he says four different things about walking. Now, the first thing that I want to point out is a word that if you listened or if you heard, you might have heard stands out in the first two verses because it comes up multiple times in the first two verses. If you're thinking it, if you're trying to remember what it was, that word was truth. You might have heard the word truth said multiple times in those first two verses. In verse 4, it makes it clear what John is talking to here. He says, and I, I rejoiced greatly, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. The message version says it a little bit differently. It says, I can't tell, how, or can't tell you how happy I am to learn that many members of your congregation are diligent in living out the truth. Living out the truth, the message says, or walking the truth. The first point I want to make is that John says we are to walk in truth. Now, walking in truth was not some new idea that John had come up with all on his own, but we've actually read this before and seen it before in Scripture. Paul speaks about walking in truth. Paul spoke about it in Galatians. He says, don't walk contrary to the gospel. 
Uh, and even earlier back, we see a reference to walking in truth. If we look at Psalm 86, verse 11, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, I will walk in your truth. So this idea of walking in truth is not something that's brand new, but it's been said before. And so if it's been said before, what does it mean? What exactly does it mean? And it's not as simple, or I mean, it's not as complex. I think it's as simple as it looks. It says to break it down, your walk. So your walk is just another way of saying your life, or the way you live out your life. That's your walk. The way you live your each and every day, that is your walk. So your life, you could say, is your walk. And so if we say walk in truth, we're really just saying live your life in truth. And so then we need to say, well, what is truth then? And I think that's a simple answer. I think the truth is, is that the truth is the word of God. The gospel is the truth. The word of God is truth. And so when we say walk in truth, it really, what we're saying, we, mean, we say obey God's word, read God's word, study God's word, meditate upon God's word. Do what God's word says to the best of your abilities in every moment of every day. Live out the words of scripture as best you can in every single thing that you do. Simply put, it means do your best to be Christ-like in your words, your deeds, and your actions. In everything you do, trying to be like Christ. Now that's easier said than done sometimes, if we want to be honest. Because some of the truths that Jesus said are things that are not necessarily easy to live out. And some of those truths are hard truths to live out, especially in a day like today. We know many examples of the things that Jesus said that were not exactly easy to live out. Jesus talks about if someone asks for it, give them your coat and your tunic too. He says, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. That's not an easy message to live out in 2020. Jesus said, if someone says, carry your pack and go one mile, he says, take it and go two. Right? These are not easy truths to live out in 2020. He tells you to sell everything you own and give all the possessions to your poor. Again, that's not an easy thing to live out. The truths that Jesus spoke are not always easy truths to live out in our life. And our culture doesn't like doing things that are hard. Our culture likes doing things that are relatively easy. We like quick and easy things. I read in the news this week, uh, McDonald's drive through If you've ever been to McDonald's drive through they're probably one of the fastest. You know, they're probably one of the fastest ones out there. They've got two lanes at every McDonald's drive through that you pull up to. You pull up, you order, and, and, and you pay, and by the time you get to the window, generally, your food is ready. Unless you're one of those people like me, who at 8.30 at night is ordering breakfast, and at like, you know, 9 a.m. is getting a Big Mac combo. So you're getting things that they're not prepared for. But generally, it's one of the fastest drive throughs out there. You're probably getting your meal within about 40 seconds. And McDonald's said today they're going to half that. They're going to find a way to half the speed of their drive throughs And now, now all I can picture in my head is you just doing about 30 kilometers an hour through a drive through and a guy windmilling your burger through the window at you. That's all I can figure out. That's the only way I can see them getting faster than, than 40 seconds. And if that's what they're going to do, I'm, I'm very excited to see it. I want to see a guy Big Mac me from two kilometers away. Yeah, that is fast food. See, our culture likes quick and easy. We like fast. We want the easy fix. We don't like doing the hard thing. We don't like living out those difficult things. We'd rather live out an easy quick solution. But see, walking in truth means daily doing your best to live out exactly the truths that God said, whether they're easy or whether they're very hard to live out. 
Ravi Zacharias wrote, he said, truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is still false even if everyone believes it. Truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is false even if everyone out there believes it. It doesn't matter if the world around you is then living and walking in falsehood, your calling still remains to be walking in the truth. So the first thing that John says, the first way that we're supposed to walk is we are supposed to walk in truth. And the second way we're supposed to walk, the, the second thing that we see is we are supposed to walk in love. Verse 5 says, Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. He says we should love one another. And verse 6 carries on saying, And this is love, that we would walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have had it from the beginning. So you should walk in it. This is love. He's saying that you should walk in love. Live in love. Conduct your lives in love. Now, we know what it means to walk because we just discussed what it meant to walk in truth. So walking in love is fairly easy for us to understand in light of walking in truth means. Uh, so walking in love means that in everything that you do, in everything that you say, all of it should be done in love. All of it should be done out of love. And now love for who, you might ask, because that's the next question. The next logical jump is, okay, well, love, but love for who? And this is where we go to the commandment that I think John is referencing here. Jesus was once asked, he said, what is the greatest commandment, right? He was asked lots of questions to try to trick him up. And so somebody, they once asked him, what's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And he said, and the second one is like it, that love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that the whole law, all the prophets, he said, everything hangs on those two. And so who is everything supposed to be done in love towards? Well, simply put, it's supposed to be done in love towards God and love for the other. Love for God and love for others. God and everyone else. In everything that you do, it should be done out of love for the other person and love for God. We talked a lot about love last week, and so I'm not going to repeat too much of what we discussed, but it will do well to remind ourselves that we can love others because God first loved us. And when we love others, we show how much we truly love God. In our loving others, we display our love for God. Henry Drummond wrote, he said, there's no mystery about it. We love others. We love everybody. We love our enemies because he first loved us. Right? We love them because Jesus loved us first. But see, it's not always easy to do everything in love, is it? It's not always easy to do everything in love. Your husband leaves all of his dirty cooking utensils, all the dirty pots and pans, all his dinner dishes out on the counter after dinner, and then he goes out to play baseball with his friends. And you know that he's not going to be home until quite late. And yes, this is a real-life example in my home. And so you wash the dishes, and you wash the dishes because you don't want to leave them out to get all stuck and hardened up. You want to wash the dishes. But let's be honest, in that situation, if we put our shoes in the situation of the person washing the dishes, it's much easier to wash those dishes out of frustration and annoyance than it is to wash those distance or dishes out of love for the other. Right? It's much easier for us to sit there with a scrubber brush in hand, muttering all those things under our breath as we dis do someone else's dishes than it is to say, I'm doing this simply because I love my husband or I love my wife, and so I wash the dishes. But see, John, Paul, Jesus, they all say that everything we do is supposed to be done out of love. And that means the small things just as much as it means the big things. It means every act. They don't say do some of the stuff you do out of love. 
you know, do the big things out of love and the rest out of whatever. It means everything. In the small, the big, all of it is to be done out of love. So our giving, our generosity to others, it shouldn't be done out of duty or done begrudgingly. It should be done because we love them and we love giving and we love God. Our work, our day-to-day -day jobs, it should be done out of love. Our every action, our every response, our every thought should be done out of love for God and love for the other. That should be our motivator to do everything. Jerry White said, the greatest of all motivators is love. The greatest of all motivators is love. And so let everything you do be motivated by love. Because the second way we're supposed to walk is we're supposed to walk in love. Now, the third thing that we need to notice here is not actually a point in and of itself. So it's not actually a point of itself, but actually it's an amendment to those first two points that I've already made. See, the first two ways of walking, walking in truth and walking in love, they're not meant to be done isolated or by themselves. They're not meant to be done alone. Rather, they are meant to be walked hand in hand. You're supposed to walk truth and love hand in hand. This letter begins by saying, to the, el or sorry, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. If you read verses 4 to 6 again, you go back and read verses 4 to 6, you'll see John is saying we need to walk in truth, which means we live out the commandments. And the commandments are to love everyone and to love God. So therefore, we walk in truth by living out the command to love others. So it's this circle. He's saying, I was happy I saw your members walking in truth, and I remind you of that truth. That truth, that commandment, is walk in love. And what is love? Well, love is obeying those commandments. Love is obeying those truths. Truth and love walking hand in hand. John is saying they go together. He says they shouldn't be done independently. They shouldn't be done separately. Now, if you try and separate walking in truth and walking in love, we start to see what happens. When you try and walk in truth without any love, we see legalism, we see judgment, we see harshness. We've likely experienced someone who walks truth without love, someone who is harsh and legalistic, extremely judging and condemning to everyone around them, except for themselves often, but extremely condemning of everyone else's actions. Because see, living in truth without love is something that we're not supposed to do. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, we have this great list of things. Paul says, if I have prophetic powers, if I sell everything and give it to the poor, if I am able to speak in the tongues of angels, if I have all of these things and yet I don't love, then I'm nothing. He says, if I have all of that, but I don't have love, then I'm nothing. He's saying love has to go with it. Love has to be the driving force behind the things that you do. So giving away your possessions, selling everything and giving it to the poor, while it is a gracious and a generous act, if it wasn't done out of love, and Paul says it means nothing. He says if it was done for any other reason, then it means nothing. It was a nice act, but it needed to be done out of love. If you don't live out Jesus' truth out of love, you become bitter and you become harsh towards others. And the opposite holds up as well, that we shouldn't try to walk in love without also walking in truth. This world will tell you that loving others really means uh, to let them be as they are and do whatever they please. It, love has become synonymous with letting people do whatever they want. Love is just letting people be. And we've seen this before, we've talked about it before, but sometimes love says no. Sometimes love has to say no. When your child, when your toddler is reaching towards an electrical outlet with a fork in hand, you don't say, well, I love them, so I'm going to let them make his own decision. 
I thought that would be a terrible idea to do to a child. You stop them. You would say no. And you stop them not out of any other reason that you, you don't want them to have fun or you don't want them to experience the joy of electrocution. You stop them out of love. You say, I love you, and so I'm saying no. You know what that thing that they're about to do is stupid. It's dangerous. And so you stop them. You say no out of love. And I think that the world has sometimes forgotten to say no sometimes is still done out of love for the other. Sometimes you have to stand up and say, no, look, I love you and I love you as a person and that is why I'm saying no to this thing. Because love needs truth. Otherwise, in the words of John Stott, love without truth breeds complete compromise. And so we have to marry truth and love hand in hand. Augustine, way back in the 4th century, wrote about this. He wrote about the marriage of truth and love. He says, if you accuse, accuse from love. If you correct, correct from love. If you spare, spare from love. Let love be rooted deep in you, and only good can grow from it. So truth and hand should be walked together. They shouldn't be separated. And so walk truth and love hand in hand. And finally, we come to the fourth thing. The last thing, the last way of walking. And again, it's a bit of an, uh, uh, it's not actually a way of walking, but rather, it's something that John says we should avoid walking towards. In verse 7 to 9, we have a very uh, a stern warning. And I'm going to read the message translation of this uh, because it uses some great words. And so verses 7 to 9, John writes this stern warning. He says, there are a lot of smooth-talking charlatans loose in the world who refuse to believe that Jesus Christ was truly human and flesh and blood human being. Give those people their true title, deceiver, antichrist. And he says, and be very careful around them so you don't lose out on what we've worked so diligently in together. I want you to get every reward you have coming to you. Anyone who gets so progressive in their thinking that he walks out on the teaching of Christ walks out on God. Whatever stays with the teaching stays faithful to both the Father and the Son. See, John is giving a very stern warning here to walk away from false teachers. He says, walk away from false teachers. And I think this is important now, and I think it has been important since these words were written. Because every once in a while, if we follow the trend of church history or Christian history, every once in a while, someone comes along and they says, I've uncovered something new about Christianity, or I've uncovered something new about the Bible. I've uncovered this hidden secret that no one else has noticed before me. I've used this new formula no one else has discovered. I've uncovered something that no one else came upon. God gave me this secret hidden message, and he kept it hidden from everyone else for 2,000 years, but now I have it, and he's given me this new way of living out faith. And usually this new idea is something that is completely contradictory to what everyone else is teaching or living and is likely, not always, but is likely very contradictory to what the scriptures say. It usually finds no grounding in scripture, or if it does, it finds some contextualizing of scripture to give it some false support. It's usually quite contradictory to God's word through Jesus or the Old Testament or the prophets. And you might think, Lucas, I know exactly what you're talking about, Lucas. I've seen those things. And Lucas, I'm not stupid enough or naive enough to fall for any of that. But I have to be honest that I know people personally caught up in exactly that today. 
I know people who are friends of mine. I know people who went to Bible college with me that are caught up in this exact kind of false teaching today. I know people who have been tricked by these smooth-talking charlatans, which is, I think, a great uh, visual way of putting it. Paul talks about those things. He says those people are preaching messages that are completely different than what Jesus said. And he says it's completely different from Scripture, and they're deceiving. And so John says, watch out for them. Watch out for them and walk away from them. He says, be very careful around them. And so test everything against Scripture. Test everything people say when someone's preaching a new message. Test that against Scripture. Even if it sounds appealing to you, test it against what has been preached before and what has been said before and what is written in the text in and of itself. Test it against truth. And then also test it against love. Does it hold up against love? Is this thing a loving thing? So test it against truth and love, and if it fails those tests, then throw it out and walk away from it. With the rise of social media, one thing that I have noticed over and over and over is that because of social media, everyone now has a voice. Everyone has a voice. All of us have a voice. If you if you're able to access social media, you are able to have a voice like none ever before. But now that everyone has a voice, in order to stand out, you have to yell way louder than everyone else or you have to say something completely different than everyone else. Something that is so out there, it stands out amongst everything else. And I think now, perhaps more than ever, we see that there are people out there saying things that are way different than what the Gospels actually say. And so how do we live in this world? How do we live faithfully in this world where everyone has a voice? Well, I think we can live faithfully when we follow what John says about walking. John says to walk in truth, Walk in love. Walk those two things hand in hand. Don't separate them. And he says, walk away from that false teaching. And I think if we walk that way, we'll be able to live out faithfully in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, thank you for your words of Scripture. Thank you that you gave us your word, your truth, written down for us to have even today. God, thank you that we can go anytime and we can read your message, your love letters to us. God, thank you for that truth. And Father, thank you for that love. Thank you for your love that came first for us, and thank you that your love for us enables us to love others fully, enables us to love others. So Lord, help us to hold truth and love in hand, and help us to love people. In every person that we meet, in every action, every deed, every word we speak, may it be done of love. May we walk in truth and walk in love. And Father, would you give us wisdom to see that false teaching along the way and to avoid that, Father? Would we always be a people committed to love? We just thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.